Good morning, everybody. We are back again for a wonderful time. Say what? I said troublemakers. I'm not a troublemaker. I just say what people, never mind. Um, Depends um, on I think it depends on who you ask, whether I'm a troublemaker or not. Um, however, comma, pause. Like, last time we were talking about to a girl of 11 at the end of like the patriarchy and how that affects people and we decided to come back and really address like purity culture as it pertains to our specific groups but before we do that I'd like to read an excerpt from a book by Emily Joy Allison it's called Church Two um, one of the key things that she writes in her book Church 2 is purity culture is the spiritual corollary of rape culture created in Christian environments by theologies that teach complete sexual abstinence until legal monogamous marriage between a cisgender heterosexual man and a cisgender heterosexual woman for life or else. So with that in mind, I just thought it was a good, like, short, succinct statement of reminding me of, like, what purity culture really is. So what is purity culture to you, Lori? Well, I like research, and I like definitions, um, and sometimes I can find things that say it better than I can. So I did a little bit of research, um, and this is my understanding of purity culture. Um, the term purity culture is generally associated with American evangelical Christian purity movement. Um, it kind of launched in the early 1990s. Um, I think if you or anyone that grew up in an evangelical church around that time, you probably have a lot of thoughts and feelings and, and memories, and you could add different things to the conversation. Um, evangelicals don't have a monopoly on um, purity culture. Um, it's very specific to religion and culture, but the gender and sexual control upon which purity stands is global cross religion, cross culture. Um, mm -hmm. and that's what we want to talk about today is how it really applies to Anabaptists, Plain and Amish and Mennonite communities and other similar but we can only what we grew up in and what we saw and the ways that we feel it was detrimental. Right. Um, it's the gen, um, part of it is gender expectations. They're based on very strict stereotyped binary. Men are expected to be, and we're talking about, you know, cisgendered men on a, um, they're supposed to be strong, masculine leaders of the household of their church and society. Um, conversely, women are expected to support them no matter what, no questions asked, to be pretty feminine, sweet, supportive wives and mothers. Um, now, I will say in the plain Mennonite and Amish communities, I would, there's not much emphasis on pretty. We're supposed to be more plain and not draw attention to ourselves in any way. Would you agree, Mary? I would agree with that. I will also say that many years ago, probably in like 2006 I, or 2007, it was around that time frame. Um, I watched a movie called 
um, the Stepford Wives, even though I really don't watch TV. But the person I was with at the time um, really wanted to watch that movie. And let me tell you, that movie, The Stepford Wives, was so triggering. I threw up. It was so bad. Because it reminded me of like the strict roles that we were expected to conform to. There's no space for people who happen to be intersex, by the way, because when you have purity culture that exists in that realm and there is no place for you outside of the roles that you have been assigned to and when you have such a strict binary, hey, look at the trees, when you have such a strict binary to conform to and there's nothing outside of that, you have nowhere to be. So if, if for example, and I know that this happens, um, you happen to be born as an intersex person inside of those circles, the purity culture norms that exist affect you too. Do people know what that means? Intersex? I don't know. Okay. Let me, let me, let me explain what, a little bit about what intersex is. Intersex is people that are born with characteristics, like they may not have um, XX and Y chromosomes, like the same way as other people that are considered a cisgender um, male or female. People can be born with um, gen uh, genitalia or organs from either sex, and they have it, that's called intersex just very briefly. But anyways, so when you have a culture where there's no freedom of expression at all or bodily autonomy, because when you talk about purity culture as a whole, there's there's this sit still, look pretty type of, and that's the name of a song, by the way, but there's, there is, there's this sit still, look pretty type of thing. But the mentality that we had was more sit still, look plain, and conform to whatever everybody else was was doing. And if you didn't look the same plane as everybody else, then well that was that was cause for further questioning. But in the meantime, like the idea that that has to be done, then you have people who are who are policing each other up. You have women who are being horrible to each other simply for the fact of like you're not being plain enough or you're not sitting still enough or whatever it is. So it harms people in various ways, I think. And whether we have purity ranks or not, it still applies. Yep. Um, and further, um, you know, a lot of times we would see men's thoughts and actions are are said to be either pure or impure while women themselves are said to be pure or impure. And that's a huge part of purity culture. Where did you see that in the plain communities? Everywhere. <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's preached like this kind of stuff. It's preached like the passage that I read from to a girl of 11, like that is preached. There's another passage I'd like to read to you from to a girl of 11, which by the way, didn't you get yours um, as well? I wait out me right here. It is. Do not recommend unless you want to feel nauseous or throw up. Exactly. But I did read cover to cover. It took me, I won't 
it's a little bit traumatic. But on page 12 of this booklet, um, I just want to read this passage to y'all so you can understand what I'm talking about. Just as a rosebud unfolds at the right time into a beautiful flower, pure and unsoiled, so is your life at this time. Remember, this is an 11-year-old girl. You are a virgin. That means a girl who is still pure and has never had intercourse. Your virginity is a treasure that once lost can never be regained. No matter how hard you try, it is true that God can forgive you if you sincerely repent, but the scars will remain and your virginity will never come back. Imagine telling that to an 11-year-old or any, any woman or girl. I mean, and, you know, imagine telling that to, as we now know, there's, there's a lot of um, CSA that happens. Imagine telling that to an 11-year-old that has already been um, raped and, and experienced sexual violence in various ways, and now they're being told that they're not pure because of that. So she literally, like, because there was, like, sex, and it wasn't even something she wanted, but whether she did or didn't, now she's impure? Yes. Yes. Just and just, just, Just let that sink in and think about how that affects people. Think about it. And how is that? like much different from the way that evangelical purity culture is like maybe they have like purity rings and they have um don't they have like um contracts that some people make um, yep. and you're and god jesus or god is your husband until you get married yeah i mean like the bride of christ like all of those things like that's that's really difficult and harmful yeah um like, yeah, so do y'all have any examples to add to our descriptions of purity culture at this time? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, like our audience probably has like, you know, some good examples as well. I'm sure. Uh, but go ahead. Um, so another thing is that, you know, abstinence is obviously the only way. Um, in purity culture, and that includes not having sexual thoughts, sexual feelings, or any actions before marriage. But then, as soon as you get married, there's a flip that switches magically, and now you want to have sex. Um, that, that even when I was Mennonite, that sounded traumatic to me. Like, especially um, if you weren't allowed to kiss or hold hands or anything. Um, but it's it's not even factually accurate because we are sexual beings and that doesn't make us pure or impure we ha- we are sexual beings um and that creates so much shame it really does and it also creates the idea that it's not normal to experience sexual feelings or thoughts or or have anything sexual outside of of marriage and then when you have that culture of shame it also silences people yep yep there's a lot of amish people around me where i live i can't look at them the same anymore since hearing the experiences here on this channel well i'm you know 
we're here to humanize the Amish people and humanizing Amish and plain people, um, even plain Mennonites, it involves like talking about things that are not necessarily always pleasant because if you don't humanize people, then you elevate them. People tend to elevate our people and when they elevate our people, um, they put them on this pedestal to where they can do no wrong. And so they kind of almost worship them. It's really awful. So I'm grateful that you're able to hear what we have to say and understand and comprehend that this isn't just an isolated incident. We're talking about the culture as a whole. And Linda says there's also a part about purity culture with single moms and widows. It's telling, it's horrible, telling them the church and Jesus is their husband. Yes, yes. That is a great, excellent point to make. You got any thoughts about that, Lori? Well, yeah, I, that's also, um, um, not, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, maybe minimizing or not minimizing, but like a, the desire for someone to have a husband or a spouse if they want one. And the church, oh, God, Jesus or God is your husband. But you get <laughs> to go home to an actual person. Like, even when I was in that mindset, I was still like, well, he doesn't have a body. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't, it's like, yeah. So that is very um, I, disregarding of people's, you know, natural desires to have a person. Right. And it's natural for people to desire not to be alone or to have meaningful connections in their life. Like that's a human thing. Like we desire connection connection that means something yeah so why do some people why are in inside of this culture why are some people not worthy of having a physical connection with somebody and other people are why do they only get a metaphorical connection with a supposed as a, a like as like the bride of christ or you know the church and jesus is their husband like why why do they get delegated to that i'm not a single mom or a widow but i am single and i've heard that quite a few times over the years yep and or, it feel good it doesn't it really doesn't make you feel good like I know of churches who will not allow them to date or connect outside of church guidelines, which is exactly what Amish do. That is correct. That is correct, Linda. Thank you. Um, Amish do do that. Do Mennonites do that to you? Yes. So yeah. they control their ability to build or have future partners based on what the church has deemed is appropriate. Yeah. Mm. It probably depends on the church. Um, probably the more conservative, the obviously the more control, the more conservative um, or fundamental, the more control. So is that the same? Do we know if that's the same in like evangelical circles? My, I don't know that I have like research to support that, but I think it is my belief that in general, the more fundamentalist a group is, the more the stricter the rules, the more, and then the isolation, the more is the isolated they are from uh, mainstream society. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of logical. Like then the less 
they have any accountability to anyone else, the more they make their own rules, the more people are brainwashed, mm-hmm. indoctrinated, and the less, the fewer resources they have. Because, you know, back to these um, stereotypical gender roles of a strict binary, um, women and wives, particularly in these communities, don't have their own money. They don't have cars. They don't have um, a job and things like they can't support themselves. So they can't leave if they need to. And that goes into another hole. But, you know, that's one of on the wheel of domestic violence. That's one of right. women are and not just women, but a, a victim of domestic violence is controlled by finances. But that's that's a tangent. Um, I actually have a scenario that I can share that talks about like what they what they do and what what sometimes can happen with widows or you know single mothers etc. Um, if they live inside of a community where um, they're not allowed to work outside of the home, and let's say they're a widow and they have these children and they have no way of supporting them, but then the church steps in, right, to um, support them. And when that happens, they give them an, an allotment. And I've personally observed this is where they give them an allotment. And then they set a committee of men over the allotment to ensure the widow is not mismanaging money because women can't manage money. Mm-hmm. So it goes right back to like, how do they have autonomy or how do they have the ability to even seek resources that they may not know are accessible to them? When they don't know that they can make decisions, when they don't know that they can go outside of their defined gender roles that say, they must be submissive to the church, that they must be submissive to these men that they, the church has assigned to monitor them. So another thing that um, purity culture does is it teaches men that their minds are evil and it teaches women, women are taught that their bodies are evil. Mm-hmm. It teaches that women are responsible for men's sexual thoughts, feelings, choices they make. So therefore women have to dress, walk and talk in just the right way. So as not to inspire sexual thoughts, feelings and actions. If they do inspire such thoughts, feelings and actions, then they're a stumbling block. Yep. And And they have literally can trip a man on his pathway to God. Now, can you imagine well, if you grew up playing, you probably can, but that's a lot of, that didn't feel good to me. How did it feel to you, Mary? That feels disgusting. And I actually have something else to add to that that goes with it, which is that often like in the cases and examples of CSA, um, child sexual assault, for those who are not familiar with that term, um, if like you as a woman do not uphold your marriage bed properly and give your husband sex as often as he wants and he goes and rapes your child and then it is your fault because you did not uphold your marriage bed properly and that's also a really harmful ideology because it is actually not the wife's fault 
for somebody to be able to stand up and say, no, I do not feel like having sex tonight when they're supposed to be submissive. First off, like that's a big step to take. Second off, like it is still not their fault if their husband or their partner is in fact SAing their child. And I believe that's also part of purity culture that exists in um, various religious communities, not just one. For sure. And I can remember, I think I shared this on our, the first one that I spoke, but I can remember them sitting us down in, I know I was in school, I, I was probably high school, um, and saying, like, it was just the girls, and if, you know, talking about how we were supposed to dress, and if we did not dress modestly, and a man lusted after us, it was our fault because we did not dress appropriately. Right. Um, I had a picture of the dresses that we wore, but they were cape dresses, if anybody knows what those are. Homemade cape dresses um, that went about halfway between our knees and the floor. Um, I know in my home, we weren't allowed to be in the room, the house without being in our full Mennonite clothing, head covering and everything. Um, yeah. So... I don't know how, like that. And then if you did experience CSA like I did, then you, then I internalized that it was my fault. And it's a direct res re um, result of that teaching. Right. <clears throat> because everything is based on modesty and abstinence only, which I, I think the teachings are inherently and I could be wrong on this, but I do believe that the teachings based on like my understanding of the teachings from like Emily Joey Allison's book, Church Two, and some other people I've heard talk about purity culture. I believe the teachings are inherently across the board. They're very similar and they have overlapping ideologies like that, mm -hmm. I which, would which result in like people automatically when you feel or when you experience sexual assault of any sort it's your fault that that's happening to you or even when people experience adversity of any kind god must be punishing them for that There's or it's even i gotta don't worry let me let me let me go here <laughs> I got a, I got a letter here. Um, where did it go? You go ahead while I find this part. <laughs> well, I don't want it to like change the subject. Um, but you know, another part of purity culture that I've observed and experienced is, um, the concept that, you know, if you wait until you're married to have sex, you will, you will meet the the right person and God will bless you in so many ways. Your marriage will be amazing. The sex will be awesome and everybody lives happily ever after. Um, they didn't say that part. Um, and that is not true. And many, many people have been hurt, harmed by that belief system. Mm -hmm. I can't find the point. And that happens. That might be, that's bigger than just the plain communities. That's the overarching um, purity culture. Right. Like, so, like, 
isn't purity culture also encompassing because women are expected to be supportive and um, and submissive at all times and obey and you know they're they're kind of created to be a helpmate but also um, they have a a complete lack of ability of denying their suffering for Christ like now that theology also addresses this where it's like you're expected to suffer for Christ and if you're being given this burden of experiencing criminal acts against you or SA or other forms of abuse that is your um, gift of suffering you were given to experience in life for Christ and you just have to accept it and <laughs> be silent about it and you know forgive the person who's doing it to you even though it's a repetitive ongoing thing because he asked for forgiveness to the church so therefore you forgive which means forget and be quiet you know all of that is like really silencing and <laughs> gaslighty it's like where do people have the autonomy to have like emotions do they have emotional intelligence at that point no, it's not encouraged or um, fostered in any way. It's the mentality of, you know, the the hierarchical, the patriarchal system that we discussed last time of like, <clears throat> you know, that men get their information from the leaders who are also only men. And then the women, you just do what you're told from there. You don't ask questions you don't think for yourself right all of there's, that there's really no space for women to ask questions there's no space for women to really even begin to have meaningful conversations about things like that and it also um like i remember for many many years um, feeling like I'm just, I'm the gatekeeper to keeping sex from happening. If I don't, all men just want sex. They just want to get sex from you. Or I'm talking like outside the church, but like, that's how they're made. Um, and, but it's my job to gatekeep it so that it doesn't happen, whether it's within or without the church. And what that does is it infantilizes men as well. It harms women, but it also harms men because in my experience now, having dated a lot outside the church, mostly outside the church, that's not really how it works. Mm -hmm. But it set me up for failure too, because um, I was distrustful. I was guarded. Um, a lot of things that I have had to work through. Right, because when you are given this perception and you're indoctrinated to believe that, you know, men outside of the church are going to be um, almost animalistic, because that's part of what our culture teaches as well, is that men are almost animalistic. And it, you're right, it infantilizes them so badly and it is so harmful to them because it doesn't even give men bodily autonomy. It's like they're not really in control of their own bodies, which in fact they are, but it doesn't give them the respect to humanize them 
and rather it looks at them as like uncontrollable animals. Right. And then that leads into, I know at some point we'll talk about rape culture, but that's exactly how that com- where that comes from because obviously they can't control their sexual desires. Mm-hmm. And so that's also really, really harmful. And it also perpetuates the myth that women aren't inherently sexual and that <clears throat> it's mostly just men. And that, and like, even if you read, um, to a girl of 11 and then you re- they have one for to a boy of 12 the language is starkly different and and to some degree it, there are different things you would talk to girls and boys but at the same time why not give them the same information um but i noticed that mm-hmm. drastic difference in the way that they talked they didn't even use the word sex with the girls but they did with the boys and they talked to girls as if the only their only job was to keep guard gatekeep the purity. Um, and um, they said they made um, references to sexual assault, but they were always worldly people outside the church. They didn't really have to worry about it if they didn't flirt with or talk to any men and all this kind of stuff. And um, oh, and as long as they were modest. Oh, yes. That always. That's a given. Um, and what does that do, Mary? <sighs> One. What do, we know, what do we know about sexual predators in general? Who are they? Sexual, sexual predators in general, um, you know, most people that are essayed, they know they're offenders. By and large, over and over, it's been shown that most people that are sexual offenders, they know they're offender. Some of the offenders are in the homes. They live with them. Some of them are not. But the vast majority are people that they know. And so if it's people that they know and they're putting out this information that it's only worldly people, well, that's a that's a little bit of a disinformation. Yeah. I can't think of the English word for it, but it's a disinformation um, campaign. Yeah, yeah, misinformation for sure. It is, yeah. and it's it's inaccurate, and it sets them up for failure too because they should like. I I don't like scaring kids, but like we need to teach kids, um, you know, consent, autonomy, you know, those types of things rather than fear tactics. And men are going to try and have sex with you all the time i don't know i mean like it also leads to people who exit the culture who um now they're convinced that every man all that man wants is sex that's it they don't have because of the culture and what we were indoctrinated to believe when we exit that we can't see men as anything beyond that that can happen. It has happened over and over. I've, yeah, I've witnessed it. I've, I've seen it. I don't know if you've ever witnessed it, but I have. And it's, it's quite frankly, really awful because it's like men are human beings too, just like women are human beings. So when we start humanizing one another and we start humanizing people in as a whole, that's, that's when we start like um, transcending some of these teachings. Mary, I didn't witness that. I was that. That was Oh, me. 
Yeah. Oops. Like, saying like that was the belief that I had. Like all men are gonna want to try and have sex. I'm the gatekeeper. <laughs> and it it did a lot of harm for a lot of years until I was able to work through some of that, a lot of that. Well, that's a, when you're indoctrinated to believe that from birth, like that's, that's preach. That's, that's what you're taught from your parents. That's what you're taught everywhere you go. That's what you learn. Um, when you're indoctrinated to believe that, how do you begin changing that? baby steps <laughs> really baby steps and i think like one of the things in um one of my life coaching courses is we we examine beliefs and where do they come from but here's the thing is we have our beliefs that are internal and intrinsic they're only ours right but then we have these external influences as children and the external influences that heavily influence us are going to be like our parents and if we're being raised in a religion, the church and the, the teachings from the church and then school, like school can influence our belief systems. Um, but the, the reason that I bring this up is when you have purity culture influencing children's belief systems, it takes a lot of work to begin to be able to address those beliefs, to even acknowledge that you hold those beliefs because right. everything around you as you were being shaped and, and developing, as your brain was developing, everything around you told you that this is the only way to be. Right. And then when it's reinforced by experiencing essay, then you, it solidifies the mindset and makes, um, you know, solidifies those neuropathways in the brain. Um, and those thank God can be changed, but um, not easily. <laughs> no, that's a lot of work. Right. That's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And so that's also why um, sometimes you get, um, males who who leave Amish culture and they literally can't survive outside of Amish culture because they have lived with a level of privilege that is not going to be extended to them outside of Amish culture. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Think about it. If your strict gender roles are defined as like the man, the man yeah. is supposed to go make a living and support the woman and the woman's supposed to be home taking care of the kids and having as many babies as possible barefoot and pregnant always and <laughs> you exit that and you don't know how to do laundry and I'm not saying that they can't do laundry I'm saying they don't know how to do laundry you don't know how to cook yourself a meal you don't know like I know I know explain men that literally instead of washing their shirts or learning how to do laundry they go out and buy a new shirt every time they want to wear it I'm so <laughs> I really think we do a, a disservice to men in general by not teaching them how to do basic things, just like it's a disservice to women not to teach them how to pay bills and all of that. How to get a job and how right. to write a resume and how to get a reference for a job or how to have a job interview. Like when we don't teach either of them that, like we're really dehumanizing them. Because the other part of purity culture is looking at women as as objects, the objectification. And I still struggle with that mindset. I, it's it, that's a really hard one to get out. Mm -hmm. 
because people often compare women to cars, and I'm telling you, we are not cars. Or cows. Oh, yeah, or cows. <laughs> why are we compared to cows? Why do you say, why is that said like, oh, if you, um, what is it? If you, why would they want to buy the cow if they're getting the milk for free? Uh-huh. And then, not only that. <laughs> I can't. I can't even, not with that. I, I can't with that. But then, not only that, but when you objectify women, like it goes back to the ownership thing. Yes. Yeah. So you oh, already yes. have a state of women do not have autonomy to question things. That's what we were just talking about. Yeah, exactly. Women have strict gender roles expected of them, like cook, clean, wash the dishes, you know. Yeah. Bake, sew, garden, mow the yard. You know. Smile. I just like saying that. <laughs> be plain. Be plain. Yes. When you have those roles already assigned to you, and then you turn it around to where, you know, men shouldn't learn those roles. That's where it's like you're you're doing both of them a disservice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You're setting both up for failure because neither of those are are accurate. They're not accurate, but also inherently, like, there are men who, um, I mean, I know men who stayed home and been, been stay-at-home parents. Like, mm-hmm. if a man does not have the drive or desire to go and conform to that and a woman doesn't have the desire to stay home like that's automatically like straight to jail straight to jail (laughs) and then if something bad happens to you you were asking for it because you were not complying with the role you were assigned exactly and then you're shamed as a man because you're not doing your duties but maybe the the woman has like different skills that she can bring in more money or you know, maybe she's like me. I obviously didn't pass the Mennonite test. I don't really like, I don't like to cook, clean, bake, housekeep. I don't like any of that stuff. I would literally rather do my job and somebody else do that. <laughs> um, and if I had a husband, he'd be very happy to, I'd be very happy for him to do that stuff. I wouldn't I mean, make good Mennonite. That's, that's why I can't, that's why, yeah. <laughs> you didn't make it. I've never said I made a good Amish. <laughs> Definitely not a Mennonite. Definitely, not, definitely would not make a good Mennonite wife. And I'm mouthy, so there's that. But I mean, the mouthiness, <laughs> I just don't know. Like, I, I just feel like maybe we should pray for you. But, anyways, let's. <laughs> <laughs> I can write about you. Um, I can write in the circle letter about you. Circle letters. <laughs> oh my gosh, that took me back. We didn't have the internet back then. Not that I don't know if they have the internet now or not, but um, it didn't exist. I doubt it. But anyways, like that's that's kind of like one of the things though is is like there's a lack of information being shared, like when the bishops have their um dino assemblings in the the spring and the fall. Um What's that? 
it, the bishop and the ministers. It's like um, before we have Atningsman communion, they get together and they have what's called Dinalfasamling, which is basically a conference or a meeting of like the ministry in the community and they get together and they rewrite the Atnings brief, um, change as needed, whatever, however the men decide. Um, when they do that, do, do you hear me talking about women being present to have a voice there? So it, it's it's really quite frankly, I feel like it's it's a culture that dehumanizes people of every walking way of life. Yeah. And whether that's in I don't I don't care in what kind of culture it is, if your church is practicing these kinds of um, ideals and promoting abstinence only, which also leads to other issues when you start talking about promoting abstinence only, because if you only talk to your kids about abstinence only, um, even when they may be ready to, to once they get married, they may be ready to, they may feel like they're ready to or they're obligated to, but they don't have the ability or knowledge to begin to understand what healthy sex is, because you're shutting down any any conversation that could lead to productive and healthy understanding of what sex is and what sex is not. Right. And it limits it to only penis and vagina sex. And so then what if someone, something happened to some, even let's just talk about, you know, the topic of CSA. What if someone touches a child or performs an, an oral sex act or another sex act that isn't, penetration sex and the child doesn't understand that that was yeah. sex, and that can that is a problem as well and it's also part of purity culture in a sense too because when i've seen this a lot um where it's okay to do everything but the penetration i don't know if we're allowed to talk about all this but um you might want to put some warnings on it <laughs> content. I mean, we said we were going to talk about purity culture. I feel like that's an adequate warning. I feel like it is, but I just wanted to, yeah, this isn't my platform, so I wanted to respect, be respectful, but um, but I think that's really important because I've seen that a lot where the purity is a line in the sand, again, because we're back to the purity. So it's like, I have seen this, not in the Mennonite community as much as outside, but I'm sure it happens in the Mennonite communities and Amish communities too, but anything up until a certain line is, is okay because it's not sex because it's not penis and vagina sex, which also eliminates a whole spectrum of people who are not heterosexual. So what do you do about that? <laughs> um, exactly. culture also believes that homosexuality is an abomination. So well, there's a whole lot I just said there. There's, there's, I do not know of any Amish communities that accept gay or queer people. I do know of many Amish that communities that actually teach that if you um, happen to be homosexual, that it's a slippery slope that leads you down the pathway of becoming a um, offender, an offender of um, child rape. And I am offended by that, that mindset. I hear that outside the community as well. And that's also stems from purity culture, I believe. It's very harmful. 
it really is because it's so and like the other thing is is there's there's also a belief perpetuated that if you happen to be um gay or queer that you in fact must have experienced um csa or sa or been molested in some form shape or way and there's this idea that um being essayed as a child or being essayed in general can actually change your sexual orientation. And I just like to examine that, that, that theory from a cishet perspective. So if, if that is true, let's just say that's true hypothetically. So if you are a cishet person, let's, let's use a cishet woman. Um, For those who don't do our audience know what that means. I don't know. Um, a cisgender person is a person who identifies as the biological sex that they were born with. And hetero is, het is obviously heterosexual. So I just want to make sure that everybody knows what we're talking about. Yes. No, thank you for that. Um, but, you know, if, if you are a cishet person and you experienced SA, like how do you continue experiencing attraction towards the same gender that actually offended against you? Because a lot of times it's, it's the opposite gender. It's less often that it is people that are assaulting you sexually as a child that it is the same gender. Most times it is not. So if that is true, so how do these um, majority women survivors of CSA, how do they continue um, being cis heterosexual women? Mm -hmm. Can you explain that? No. Except other than the fact that that's not an accurate, that's not accurate. And the research doesn't back, the research does not support that, um, the, that there's a correlation between, and correlation doesn't even equal causation, first of all, but that there's not a correlation between child sexual assault and um, homosexuality. Right. Like what if the child was, so somebody was um, trying to tell me that, well, the, the, the children were first molested and then they experienced same-sex sexual attraction. And the thing is, is that can be true. But also, what if the child was too young to have experienced sexual attraction prior to that? Exactly. And then, once that, that happened, like, how many children do we know of that are essayed at, at young ages of, like, five and, and six? Like, why would they be experiencing children are not inherently sexual children are not sexual beings and so when we sexualize children we are like basically committing crimes like i feel that as a crime it is a crime to in my opinion to sexualize children it may not be a legal crime but it is a moral crime and it also vilifies queer people and makes people scared of them and uh, you know Oh, I don't want them around my kids. They're going to assault them. And really, most pedophiles are straight men. And a lot of them are Christians. 
a lot of them are Christians. They're in your churches. Yeah. It's like part of the reason why I'm so grateful that I, I don't attend church because I just don't see church as a safe place for any child due to the fact that so many churches sit there and instead of like addressing their problem of allowing um, known perpetrators of CSA and I don't actually call them pedophiles. Do you want to know why? Yeah. Because the DSM definition of pedophile is somebody who experiences sexual attraction to a child. It does not indicate that a crime has occurred. It does not indicate that that person has done anything to warrant committing a crime. Correct. It's just the attraction itself. Yes. I did hear that on, um, from was it Tara Mitchell that said that on one of your Yes. Yeah, I, yes. I did hear that one, and I thought that was good. I just default sometimes to that terminology in, inaccurately, yeah. but I did like the way she defined it because uh, the DSM is my work Bible. <laughs> it is a Bible. It's also part of my work Bible, so you know. Right. <laughs> uh, but, like, my thing is, is until churches begin to call it what it is because there's such a big language discrepancy, and until they begin to address the harm that has been caused by purity culture, like, you know, what is going to change in your churches to make them safe for children to be in them? Right. Uh, if you're teaching children that it's their fault, is that giving them autonomy to be able to speak up when somebody's being inappropriate with them? Before it, it escalates to the case of rape. Like, you know, if you listen to... Jimmy Hinton's podcast. Just one of, thinking about him. One of the things he talks about frequently is testing and how, like, offenders will test in broad daylight in front of parents, in front of other people. They don't care. They literally, it's a challenge to them. Well, don't and you they, think part of the testing is also testing the parents? Like, yes. it's not because, like, what can I get away with? Yes. Uh, how, like, how are you going to react and how can I gain your trust? Because in order to get to a child, you have to have the trust of the parent. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the trust of the church. And so, like, what are churches going to do? I'm here asking you, what are you, churches, what are you doing? What are you going to do to prevent having have a safer to try to have a safer place for children to attend your churches? If you're hearing this and you are in a church or you're especially if you're a leader in a church, um, don't say or think it's not happening in your church because churches many times are a pair of. Uh, what did you call it? A predator's a predator's paradise. paradise. It really is because you have all the things that we discussed and then you have the like the naive belief in people and that they deserve to be there and everything else and um you're not and there you don't have the education and awareness to know but if you are i highly recommend checking out jimmy hinton's book um he was and he's on this podcast as well you can go back several episodes and find his story it's very articulate and he does an amazing job um, he gets it right he's one of the few pastors i've ever seen who gets it right who, right that's it he he gets it he gets it that churches have an obligation to provide a safe place so and don't, how to do it yes and how to do it 
And so I just think that if churches like take some of those steps that he recommends, that's that they're going to be way more successful in creating a safe place. People want to think of churches as safe places, but are they really safe places if you're inviting in perpetrators of um, sexual assault and child sexual assault? I mean, that's just a big question of mine. Yeah. Now, what type of culture is that when you, when you, um, or what type of mentality is that when you, as a church, collectively find it threatening to set a boundary to keep your children safe and to prevent access to more victims for offenders of sexual crimes? Why are you not allowed to set a boundary? Um, if churches don't set boundaries, who will? Like, it should start there. A boundary is not to, meant to punish someone or shut anyone out. It's meant to protect you and to protect in a church. You should be protecting the most vulnerable, which would be children. Um, and then it go, there's other people that are vulnerable as well. But for sure, children. And right. if you're not doing that. What kind of culture is that? Not a good one. Rape culture. That's what I feel like it is. And we will be we will be busting that out in a real soon. Coming to a podcast near you soon. <laughs> We're gonna talk about rape culture. All right. Is there anything the communities, by yes. the way? Rape culture. Yeah, don't think that it doesn't exist there. Um, but is there anything else that you can think of that we should address in regards to purity culture? Oh, but do we have time for questions? That would be fun. Yes. Y'all have any questions? Throw your questions at me. Throw them. Throw them. We will answer questions. I know I often don't answer questions, and I'm like, go look at this. Today I'm answering questions. Y'all get the privilege of asking me questions. <laughs> And she laughs evilly. <laughs> Just make sure that you're ready for the answer. Don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. Because I got answers. What about you, Lori? You got answers? Mm. <laughs> what did I tell you last night? I have more questions than answers all the time. <laughs> Literally, that's how I always have been. I've always had the questions. I don't always have answers, but I think it's okay to say that. Like, I don't really have the answer to that question, but that's a good question. Let's think mm -hmm. about it or let's look for the answer somewhere. All right. You get one free question. Me? <laughs> yep. See, oh, Lord. If you want. About this topic or anything? I don't care what. Just anything. Ask a question. Okay. What's something fun that you're going to do today? Um, <laughs> I am probably going to finish rolling up my yarn and then I'm going to crochet something and that's going to be fun. And then, you know, of course, I, I do have laundry to do, but um, I might just not be that. I, I just wait. It's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. You can't do that today. You can only, you can cook food. You're allowed to do that, but you can, 
because you have to too, but like you can't you can't do laundry. That's not that's not a good Amish woman. I never said I was a good one. There. I've never owned it. This has to be why I'm disobedient. We figured it all out. There it is. Boom. That's that's it. I think I it's make pumpkin chocolate chip cookies, but my air conditioning isn't working and it's a little warm today. Not terrible, but if I bake, it'll get hot in here. Oh my God. You want me to bring some next weekend? Yes. I'll make them then just for you. Oh, oh, since nobody has questions, I'm going to talk about this. So y'all, um, next Saturday, I'm What's supposed to be in DC and I'm going to this conference on rights and religious freedoms. Feel free to, I'll, I'll share a link where you can purchase tickets if you would like to attend as well, but it'll be fun. We're going to have a good old time, you know, we're going to, um, what, an, what happens when you, <laughs> I have to say, what happens when an ex Amish and an ex Mennonite walk into DC? Um, I ain't walking. It should be fun. It should be fun. It should be so much fun. I'm putting a link to the event on the comments for y'all. So there's that. But also, um, y'all, for reals, what happens when the Mennonite and the Amish walk into DC? When they're disobedient. Yeah, we should probably add that part in there. Yeah, the disobedient ones, that is. Um, do, do you think that DC is going to survive us? I think there's a probability that they will, but they won't be the same. It will never be the same. We're going to make a big effect, maybe, we hope. Mm -hmm. At least in the places we go to, right? Yes. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Uh, so, I'm excited for that. Uh and Tuesday at night, I'm having a conversation with somebody about intersex people. If you are interested in that, please join us on Tuesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific, Pacific Standard Time. Oh. <laughs> I can't talk. It's a tongue twister today. See, I got a question for you, Glory. I knew this was coming. Okay. What is the one thing you think is most harmful about purity culture? The victim blame, the aspect that causes victim blaming and like, or even just overarching of that, uh, the responsibility that it puts on the women. Okay. I think it. <clears throat> I think in addition, I think the silencing that it creates because purity culture makes an example out of people that are not pure, right? Which is like showing people like if you speak up or if you da 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 da, da then like this is what will happen to you. So they make an example out of people that don't comply with purity culture's demands and it silences other people. And I'm here to tell you like you have a voice, you're allowed to use it. Your voice is valid. And I'd encourage you to figure out how your voice matters to you. And purity 
does it's in here it's not what goes in and out of your body that makes you pure you know so i don't even like the word purity anymore but if you're yeah. going to you know use that word it's not about that and i think there is a verse in the bible though i can't access it at the moment that talks about like what a person like as is net was zum mund eingeht as die vereinigt as is was zum mund ausgeht it's not what enters your mouth that makes you unholy it's what exits your mouth that makes you unholy so you know it's not whether you've had sex that makes you holy or pure or good it's who you are as a person and the things that you do um not whether or not you've had sex yeah and maybe i translated that wrong it, it should be it's no, it's not. for annika it makes the it makes you impure that might be a better word for the it's not what enters the mouth that makes you um, impure it's oh, what I well, there's yeah. also um, Matthew 15, 11, a man is not, where is it? A man is not, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth. Gotcha. Yeah. Maybe that's a better word. Allergic, so I'm not going to try and do that. I'll, I'll just mess it up. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. On that note, do you have any parting words for people? Um, make good choices. <laughs> that's probably not the, <laughs> that's probably not the, um, the thing to say, um, after this, this topic, but I just like saying it cause it's funny. Make good choices. Really be, that's, that's where we're going to go with this. Make good choices. I said it wasn't the right thing to say. <laughs> don't have any. And yet you still did it. The filter doesn't always work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. I just like to say you're capable of making good choices for yourself. Oh, I like that one. And make them for yourself, not because somebody told you to. Or because you were taught to believe something while you were a child. Sometimes. Huh? I said on that note. On that note, we will see y'all later. I hope y'all have a good weekend and happy Sunday. Mm -hmm.